Good to see you. Good to see you. And happy Father's Day. I hope you have some great things planned for today. Uh, my family, I started today off with homemade cinnamon rolls. I know, I know. And then we have my favorite of all time for a little bit later, uh, my wife's famous spaghetti and meatballs um, that we will be enjoying a little later this afternoon. It is amazing I stay as skinny as I do with the good cooking we have around the house. I hope you have something special planned for today. For Father's Day, we love dads and are grateful for um, the many dads. We've got some great dads as a part of our ministry. In fact, um, welcome online campus. Uh, glad that you are with us today as well. And, you know, why don't you put your dad's name in there um, on a chat or comment, whether on Facebook or uh, our online through our website or YouTube. Um, you know, I love my dad. For me, it would be I love uh, Bob Conover, and he's been such a tremendous person in my life. So why don't you put that in there online, and, um, and that would be one way that you can honor your dad uh, through our online ministry today. And for us here in the auditorium, why don't you just let me know that you're with us. Why don't you just say, I'm awake? Okay, that, I don't believe you, but I'll take your word for it here right now. There we go. Good, good. Well, we'll go for it. Hey, um, we have the best message on earth. We really do. And each week we are trying to advance it and develop it um, in how we promote it online through our live streaming. And so um, we're trusting that our online platform will continue to improve for those that are connecting with us uh, through that, and we're glad that we're able to connect with so many who are still yet unable to be a part of our on-campus ministry right here. So for those here and for you online, grab your copy of the scriptures, turn to Daniel chapter 3, whether it's in your Bible or your iPad or iPod or your phone or whatever may be the case, Daniel in chapter 3 and if you were with us last week, you just might remember that we had a discussion from Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and it troubled him tremendously so that he lost sleep, and he needed to have the interpretation of this dream. And he looked far and wide across all of Babylon, and he could not get that interpretation from any of his most wise and trusted individuals. And so he basically was going to do away with them all. He ordered that all of them be killed. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a part of those individuals. However, they didn't realize what was going on. And finally, an individual came to them and said that you all are going to be killed because the king could not get his dream nor the interpretation to it. And so Daniel, along with his three comrades, decided, you know what we're going to do? They didn't go to any others. They didn't go to any individuals. They didn't go to any wise men or anyone else in all of Babylon. They put the car in park and they said, you know what we need to do right now? We need to pray. We need to talk to God about this. And this was the overall theme from last week's discussion that we had together, and, and, and it's this. Our hope is in the Lord. Our only true hope is in the Lord. While others may look to everywhere else and everyone else, 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know what? No, our only true hope is in the Lord. And so they went to prayer. God revealed the dream to Daniel, and he boldly went to Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm not sure if you remember, a lot's happened in a week, but here's basically what the dream was. That was to make sure you're awake. It's going to happen every three minutes, just to make sure that you're with me. So, um, so the dream was this. <clears throat> Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a tremendous image or statue. The head was of gold. And that gold head, Nebuchadnezzar, great king, symbolized you and your kingdom and your reign. However, your reign will come to an end and will be replaced by another kingdom. And he mentioned that that is the chest and arms of silver. And then that reign by your successor will be then overcome by the, the belly and thigh of bronze. And then that reign of that next individual will be overcome by the legs of iron. And then that will be overcome then by the reins of the feet of a mixture of iron and clay. And so what we could see is Nebuchadnezzar's reign would be temporary, as well as all of the others. And you see the value of them going down with the different metals. And then you also see a vulnerability in the very lowest layer because it's a mixture of clay and iron. And then the dream said this. Daniel said it boldly. He said, then there's going to be this rock. It is not hewn by human hands. This is going to be a rock carved out by the divine. And this rock is going to come through. It is going to strike this image and the entire image is going to come down and be crushed and ground into powder, and the whole thing will go away, and what will remain will be the rock. And Daniel says, you know what that rock is? The rock is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God will last forever and ever and ever. And then Daniel says that the interpretation to the dream is trustworthy, you can depend on it. It is from God, and this is what is going to happen. And so now we get to Daniel chapter 3. And this is really an interesting narrative because Nebuchadnezzar decides he has an idea of his own. I realize what the king is, I realize what God is saying, Nebuchadnezzar says. But I have an idea of my own of how I want this thing to go. And so in this narrative, there are three primary truths. And what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to put our application as these truths that we're going to navigate through. And so I want to give you number one, as we read this together, <clears throat> number one truth. And then I'm going to read through the first number of verses in, in Daniel chapter 3. But the first truth that we're going to work through today, and you're going to see how this works out with Nebuchadnezzar's activity the first truth we're going to talk about is we don't change God's word. It changes us. We don't change God's word. It changes us. You with me on this? Or do I have to do one of those shock things again to keep you going? Okay. We don't change God's word. It changes us. Hey, Daniel chapter 3. Look at it with me. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 
60 cubits high and six cubits wide. That is 90 feet high, nine feet wide. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He set it up in the plain of Dor in the province of Babylon, and he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it, and then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations, peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Quite the evangelistic program he's got going on, isn't it? I'm sure church attendance that first day must have really been impressive. So as soon as they heard it, everyone bowed down to the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. However, verse 8, the astrologers came forward and said, we've got a problem here, Nebuchadnezzar, because there's three guys, there's three Jewish guys that are not bowing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, in fact, not only are they not bowing now to this image, they've not worshipped any of the gods that you have had going on here in Babylon for these past three years. And that's a problem. So here we go. I want to talk about this statue. What was going through Nebuchadnezzar's mind? <clears throat> now remember, there was a statue that he saw in his dream in chapter 2. He built a statue for himself in chapter 3. We're going to talk about the differences. But first, let me give you an idea of how big this thing was. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. It is just shy of the height of Lady Liberty who stands in New York Harbor. <clears throat> She's just a little bit taller than the statue that Nebuchadnezzar built. How many of you have actually seen Lady Liberty in person? You know that it is a fairly impressive statue. And um, so what Nebuchadnezzar has erected was extremely impressive. There's also another statue of um, antiquity it was called the Colossus at Rhodes, and it was built 300 years before Jesus was born. Believed to be about the same 90 feet high, and Colossus at Rhodes only lasted about 54 years, and an earthquake came through and took it down. <clears throat> what remains is this one boot, which is pretty impressive. I'm sure some of you are saying, I have a teenage boy who could probably fit into that. But it's pretty impressive. And just look up at the ceiling up above us and realize that is probably halfway to the height of Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Really. And we're getting the understanding <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar was trying to 
duplicate in some way what was going on with his vision from Daniel chapter 2, but he made a couple changes. Did you notice the changes? So in Daniel chapter 2, let's see if we're together on this. Daniel chapter 2, there were all of these different layers, and Nebuchadnezzar was the head of... Okay, wow, we're really together today, aren't we? Remember, you did tell me you were awake. So Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. He was the head of gold to be replaced then by the chest and arms of silver, to be then replaced by the belly and thighs of bronze. And so on and on and on, the succession goes. But he had a temporary kingdom that would be replaced. Nebuchadnezzar came up with his own statue. The whole thing was gold. So guess what he's saying? He's saying, I know what the vision was, and I know what the interpretation was, and I know what God is telling me. However, I have a different idea in mind. My kingdom is not going to end here. My kingdom is going to go all the way down to the feet. My kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. My kingdom is without end. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this understanding and idea that although God has said something, he can do something different and it will be so. Another thing missing in Nebuchadnezzar's whole concept is the rock. In Daniel 2, there was this rock at the end that came in, hit the feet of clay and iron. The whole statue came down, ended up being turned into rubble and dust and was taken away. And so there was no rock then that was eternal that everyone worshipped. For Nebuchadnezzar, he said, you know what? People aren't going to worship the rock. People aren't going to worship this king to come People are going to worship me. And so his ideal was, if I can get all nations of the world to worship my image, to worship me, my kingdom will be eternal, and I can overturn God's word. I can overturn God's edict and his decree And he made sure that that was going to happen because he had this death sentence for all noncompliance because this was more than just religion for Nebuchadnezzar. This was his plan to topple God's decree from the dream in chapter 2. So Nebuchadnezzar's whole idea, his whole solution to change the word that God decreed in the dream was to establish his own kingdom forever to remove the weakness of the statue and to align all obedience and worship of every nation and every language to him and to his religion and if everyone stuck to it and worshiped a common god they could take on the rock they would not be conquered this was his effort to change god's decree to change god's word to make sure that his desired end occurred over god's desired end This was, follow me on this, this was Nebuchadnezzar's Tower of Babel moment. I don't know if you remember much about the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, but essentially the Tower of Babel, God said, you know, 
people, I want you to scatter out into all areas, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they said, no, 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 God, we know that that's what you've said, but what we're going to do is actually stay in one location and we're going to build our own tower and we're going to rule and do our own thing. And God kind of came in and boom, changed all of their languages and spread them out and said, no, my word, as we just sang, is settled in heaven. It will be done and you can't change it. It's kind of like the Garden of Eden moment. Remember when the serpent came in and talked to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say that? You know, I think if you do your own thing, it's not going to turn out the way God said. You'll actually be like God. You're actually going to be better than what you are. And so here comes Nebuchadnezzar in, and he ends up getting this God complex He has this age-old thought in his mind, although God's word has said it, I don't think it's going to turn out that way. Although God's word said it, I don't think it's going to be that way. I think I can change it. I think I can be the exception to the rule. I think I can turn it around. And truthfully... Nebuchadnezzar isn't the only one who ends up thinking this way because, you know what, I've thought this way. And I'm sure if we can go around the room and even talk to us online, the truth is all of us have thought this way at one point or another. You know what, I don't think it's going to affect me the way that the Bible says. I think I can do my own thing. I think I can be the exception to the rule. And so you know what, some of us at, at, at some time... We've gotten into a relationship. We should have never, ever, ever been in And you knew it, but we told ourselves, you know what? It's not going to affect me the way that the Bible says. Or, you know what? I'm going to step into this activity, or I'll be promiscuous, or I'm going to do this with my money. Or you know what? I, I, it's not going to be a big deal if I'm this way with my speech, or if I treat my wife that way, or my husband that way, or my kids that way. And we do all of these different things thinking it's not really going to affect me the way the Bible says. And in the very end, we end up finding out God's word is settled in heaven. And it will be so. You know, Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, um, don't be deceived. God is not going to be mocked because whatever man sows, that he will also reap. People sow to the flesh, that's what they're going to reap. People sow to the spirit, that's what they're going to reap. And so, and I don't know what's going on here. Um, if I have to, I'm just going to holler good and loud and you'll, you'll get me if that, if that thing goes off. But um, the Bible says it plain. What God says, his word is set. In the end, Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. What God says is going to happen is going to happen. We don't change God's word. 
it changes us. That's number one. Let me, let me jump to number two. Another truth from this narrative, and it just blossoms. I love, so that's the whole idea behind the image. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing with this image. He was trying to change what God had decreed. Not going to happen. So here's number two. And I love this about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Number two, following God is to be unconditional. It's to be unconditional. So just jump forward, if you would, to verse 16. And we're going to see a couple things about this. Now realize the whole reason why Judah and the Jews were in Babylon at this time, as we talked about in week one of our study, was because of idolatry. They forgot commandment number one of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. None. So they forgot that. Here they are in Babylon, in captivity, because they had worshipped other idols and for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, they said, you know what? We're not going to. We are not going to worship any other idols, gods, anything from Babylon. And in fact, the whole time through of their three years, they never did. And that's what verse 12 mentions. They neither serve your gods the whole way through, nor worship the image of gold you have set up. But here's the unconditional part. Verse 16, look at it. The king just said, I'm going to throw you in the fire, and what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Notice verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Look at verse 18. Here's the unconditional. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Unconditional following God. It was not dependent upon their circumstances. It was not dependent upon life going their way. You know, I, um, when I read this, I actually was reminded of a situation I was in when I was, um, when I was in youth ministry. I was in youth ministry in Ohio. This was, um, boy, this was 25 years ago. And about 42 pounds ago, things have changed since then, you know? And so I was in youth ministry. I had just bought a 1994 white Honda Civic, brand new. And I was so proud of it. And the only thing I could afford is, you know, it had no power steering, manual transmission, AM radio. It was stripped down to nothing, but it was new. And I was so excited and there was a, um, I had a, a teen boy, he was a senior in my youth group, and his dad died. His dad died that year, and mom wanted to buy him a car. And so here she is, new widow, and here's this boy having just lost his dad. 
And, um, and I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll, I just bought a car. I'll, I'll, take him, I'll take him car shopping. And so I, um, I talked to him, and, and I, I said, um, let's go. I'll pick you up in my brand-new car, and I'll, and I'll take you car shopping. My car was about a month old at that time. We set up appointments at three different dealerships. We knew what they were looking for. They got my new car, and we're driving down the road there in Springfield, Ohio. And I remember um, we were a, a half a mile from the dealership. No joke, half a mile from the dealership. And I see this crusty, rusty, junky Monte Carlo coming up from behind me. And it was flying, and it zoomed around me, and it thought it could come around and scoot in really quick, and it didn't make it. And it nailed my front end. Airbag went off. My front tire was just curled right underneath the car. And so now instead of car shopping for them, I was going to be car shopping for me. And here I'm thinking in my head, have you been there? I'm trying to do the things that God wants me to do. You know, wouldn't Jesus have done this? Wouldn't Jesus have helped out the the widow and the poor kid who just lost his dad and picked him up and taken him chariot shopping? I I don't know what they would have done. You know, they would have gone out for something. Wouldn't he? I'm doing what Jesus would have done. And now look what happens. You ever been there? Why am I doing this? You know, my circumstances stink. Why am I still doing this? And here, the issue faced to these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, here they are in Babylon. No one's worshiping their God. No one will know except God. And we find out, folks, their love and loyalty to God is unconditional. Flat out. It's not dependent on their circumstance. And then here's the fiery furnace. And and in that situation, it's not, you know, I don't really want to go in that furnace. Maybe I should kind of back off a little bit with this thing with Nebuchadnezzar. And if I barter with him, maybe he'll let this whole thing go. They didn't view Nebuchadnezzar as their deliverer. They viewed God as the deliverer, and they just flat out said, you know what, we're not doing it, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry. God will deliver. But even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't, and that's the unconditional part, even if this doesn't go the way we want, even if we burn in the fire, our following God is not based upon my circumstances going my way. And I just think of the life of Job. You know, he lost it all. He lost his wealth, he lost his cattle, he lost his children, he lost his health. And Job came out with this whole phrase that just blows me away. He says, you know what, even if God killed me, even if God slayed me, I'll still trust him. That's, that's crazy intense. That's unconditionally following. And I just, I, I even think about Abraham, and God says, you know, Abraham, I want you to get up. I want you to leave Ur. I want you to leave everything you got. I want you to go to this land, I promise you, but you have no idea where it is. He had no idea what he was getting into, and he, he just went and did it. 
Think of Noah. He had a century-long building project, building the ark. And not only was it 100 years, it was 100 years of ridicule and mockery from all those around him because there had never rained upon the earth. And here he is building this gigantic boat upon which all the animals are going to go. And, and, you know, I'm sure if it were me, probably somewhere along the line, I would have said, man, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I am sweating, I am working, and people are just laughing at me. Why am I following God? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tell us this whole reason because if we follow God, and here's the big truism, if we follow God for things to go our way, think about it, if we follow God for things to go our way, our actual God is us. Think about it. Our actual God is us. And some people say, but I'm still single. Or I don't have the money I want. Or my situation hasn't changed. Or I don't have the job that I want. Or whatever may be the case. And the truth is, it's not based on what I get or how my life is going. It's not based on if my job is good or my finances are good or my relationships are good. Worshiping and following after God is based on who he is. He's God. It's based on who he is. It's not based on what we get. So number one, we saw that that God's word stands. We don't change it. It changes us. Number two, we see that following God is to be unconditional. I love that from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here's the third thing. And man, I I don't know. This one one should, should grab you. Because this is the whole point of the text. If you get down to verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. He throws the three into the fire. The guys that actually throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire end up dying. That's how hot the fire is. And then here's the big deal that we see, the third thing, and this is what it is. God performs impossible rescues. God performs impossible rescues. Listen to this. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, whoa, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, well, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And then Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And so they did, and everyone inspected them. Everyone looked at them, and, and there was, it, it mentions their, their bodies weren't harmed. The hair of their head was not singed. Their robes weren't scorched. They couldn't even smell smoke on these guys. Like, what? You know, this was an impossible rescue that was there. And then Nebuchadnezzar turned into theologian 
pagan Nebuchadnezzar, theologian, verse 28. He said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, defied the king's command. They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. And here's the phrase, folks. Underline it. Highlight it. Embrace it. Remember it. Because this is the theme of Daniel 3. For no other God can save in this way. No other God. No other God saves like our God, folks. God performs impossible rescues. Some of you need to hear this right now. Some of you need to hear that God rescues the impossible because you feel you're in an impossible situation. Some of you online right now need to understand and embrace and feel this because you might be sitting at home thinking, how will my situation ever change? We've been there. I mean, you know our story. I'm about as open as anything. And, you know, our New York home sold one hour before New York shut down with COVID. Isn't that crazy? I would have loved to have been, like, not go in that fire at all. You know what I'm saying? However, in an impossible situation, God rescued. Maybe you saw our family's resurrection story on Easter. Um, we would have done anything but go through the fire. But what an awesome resurrection story for our family. He did what was impossible for us to do. And I just want to tell you, God does impossible rescues. And here's the truth. We're all impossible rescues. Huh? Would you say it with me? I'm an impossible rescue. I'm an impossible. It's true. I mean, we're all sinners. We're all lost without Jesus. Our, our lives are sentenced to destruction. And God in the person of Jesus sends him to earth to die on the cross to bear the whole penalty of our sin so that we in our trust and faith in that very act can be completely forgiven 
and have a relationship with him and have him in our lives forever and have a place in heaven for eternity. We're all impossible rescues, but God sent Jesus to the cross for us. Do you believe that? Have you embraced that? Because I'm telling you, if you try to rescue yourself, it's not going to work. If you're saying, I can go to church, or I can give money, or I can do good works, and I think I can figure this thing out on my own, it's not going to work. Just like Nebuchadnezzar's own statue trying to change God's word, it didn't work for him, and it's not going to work for us. God's rescue plan for our impossible sin situation is Jesus Christ. Amen? It's who it is. And we put our faith and our trust in what Jesus did on the cross for us. And here's the second thing I give you. God didn't promise we won't go through the fire. I wish he did. I wish he said your life will never be uncomfortable. But he did promise this. He'll go through it with us. He'll go through it with us. And I love this. When, when Nebuchadnezzar leaped off his feet and he said, weren't there three guys, but now I see four, and he said this, there are four men walking around in the fire. This is the coolest thing because the walking around are the same exact words that are used in Genesis 3 when God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It's just crazy. This was not the cool of the day. This was in the heat of the fire. And here's God just walking with these three, fellowshipping with them and meeting their needs in their greatest challenge in the middle of it, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the very middle of the most beautiful situation. And I'm here to tell you, God will be in your greatest fire the same way he is in your greatest garden. That's our God. He never leaves. He never forsakes. The scriptures say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and even in Hebrews it says, we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand our weaknesses. He does. And he goes through it with us. Those are the lessons from Daniel 3. And I'm sure there's at least one there for each one of us. We don't change God's word, it changes us. Don't try to set up our own standard. Don't try to develop our own path. Let's orient our path to his, to his word. Let's make sure our following is not conditioned on our lives being cushy but God I'm going to follow you no matter what and then God rescue me if it's from my sin rescue me because of Jesus and his death on the cross pray that to him God, come to my rescue in my life. And even if it doesn't go my way, God, walk through it with me. I can't do this alone. And he will. 
These are things we can do because God's spirit is in us, because we have his word, because he's given us each other. And we submit to him and we enjoy him. Would you stand with me? I'm not sure where your prayer is today, but in your heart, would you talk to God? And if it's a prayer of embracing his forgiveness because Jesus died on the cross for you, would you talk to him about that right now? And he'll do the impossible rescue for you. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died to bear the penalty for my sin so I can be forgiven and have relationship with you. Would you pray that to God right now? Or maybe for you, you need to place your heart and trust in his presence through your circumstance. Or maybe for you, you need to give up your own plan and go back to God's word, whatever it is. Would you right now in your heart give that to God? Talk to him right now in this moment. And Father, in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the rock, the one whose kingdom is forever and ever and ever, God, we come to you. And Lord, we acknowledge the reality your word stands forever. Lord, may we be followers that embrace it. May it change us. And no matter what life throws us, God, may we follow with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. By your spirit, work in our lives as you have promised you would. God, your presence is near in the garden and in the fire. We need it. Come to our aid. We love you. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Have a great Father's Day, folks. Enjoy. We'll see you next week, either here or online. Take care.